Hello, my name is Wayne McGahey III, host of the Locked On Seminoles podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome back for another episode. I'm happy to have you here, and I hope you've uh, you've enjoyed the first few episodes of the Locked On Seminoles podcast. If this is your first time, a little bit about myself, just to give you some background information, but I'm the Florida State beat writer for the Tallahassee Democrat. I've covered Florida State for each of the last four years. I cover football, baseball, basketball, and recruiting. Um, I've go to every every football game, home away, bowl game, doesn't matter. Also go to every practice, baseball games, cover every home baseball game, and uh, postseason games. I was out in Omaha for the College World Series two years ago. Basketball, home basketball games, as well as any NCAA tournament games. I was in Nashville and Los Angeles for Florida State's Elite Eight run this year, and I also attend every major uh, recruiting event that Florida State has and a lot of the minor ones as well like junior days and and stuff like that so I have a pretty good idea about what's going on with within the Florida State program because I'm around it every day Uh, I see what's going on I hear what's going on so I hope you'll uh, you'll enjoy this podcast and I hope you'll stay tuned for more podcasts in the future because this is a daily podcast it's under 30 minutes every day and um you know, so it's it's a pretty easy to listen to, maybe on the ride home or the ride to work, depending on, you know, what time of day it is. But jumping right into it, this will be an offensive podcast as we try to digest, you know, just what Florida State can do to get this thing rolling. Uh, we'll also talk about the players-only meeting that Florida State had and, you know, whether that's a good idea or a bad idea. And we'll also get into... A little bit about um, maybe the scheme of what what Willie Taggart's going to do. He talked a little bit about it yesterday, and some things that he uh, he was he, he's considering doing. Um, but first, we'll you know the offense was obviously atrocious on Saturday against Syracuse. It wasn't very good against Virginia Tech, and it was only slightly better against Sanford. So. We talked a lot about what Florida State's offensive line has struggled with, um, and it's it this this is an offensive line that's going to continue to struggle throughout the year. We went over that yesterday. I don't want to get it, you know, just continue to beat that same dead horse. Even though I mean, it's it's a dead horse wor- horse worth uh, worth beating because it's I mean it's so bad and it's going to continually affect Florida State throughout the season and probably into the future until. Willie Taggart and Coach Fry can get this get this offensive line, you know, the offensive line talent to where it should be because it hasn't been for a few years, and there's just not enough talent on the roster currently to um, to get the job done. But I'm going to move on to a little bit about the, um, so, the some wide receiver issues that Florida State's been having, how Florida State can get Cam Akers more involved. Um, you know, Cam Akers only had 12 touches against Syracuse. He had, he had 52 yards um, rushing. He had eight yards receiving, finished with 60 total yards. And it's not a, not a good situation for him right now. He is obviously very unhappy about uh, you know, about his role in the Florida State offense right now. But there's just nothing that nothing that they've been able to do so far that's been able to get him and spring him free and, and find him some running lanes. So. You know, get, getting him the ball is going to be key 
for Florida State's success. I mean, I don't think there's anybody out there that'll tell you that he's not the best player on this offense because he is. He's the most talented player on Florida State's offense, uh, regardless of position. And he needs to touch the ball more than 12 times a game, especially when DeAndre Francois is throwing it over 35. Now, like I said in yesterday's podcast, that's because Florida State's been playing from behind. I get it. I get it. You're not going to be able to run the ball consistently when you're down, you know, 14 points. You can't do it. Um, So you've got Florida State's going to have to find more creative ways to get him the ball, more wildcat formations where you've got a guy like Jacques Patrick, you know, lead blocking for him. Uh, And, you know, use him to throw the ball. I mean, he did, he is a guy that did have a lot of success as a high school quarterback. Um, you know, I believe he threw for over 3,000 yards his senior year. So he's not, you know, I mean, he's he, he's not a quarterback, but he does have a good arm and he understands how to how to throw the football. I mean, he's, he's he did a really good job with it. Um, you know, against Boston College last year, I believe he had the longest, uh, the longest pass from scrimmage. I think it was 48 yards. Um, but, he, you know, you've got to find ways to get him the ball and use him creatively and I think that I don't think that's uh something I think that's something that Florida State hasn't done well enough so far this season and get it you know obviously you want to put your ball in, in the playmaker's hands that's literally what this offense is designed to do but right now Florida State's struggling in the read option teams are keying in on the running back because Francois is really only a threat to carry maybe once out of every I don't know, eight times that they run it. I mean, it's it's a ridiculous number. So he's they know he's not going to keep it, and they're willing to you know to take the chance that he does because they're just keying in on Cam Akers and he's getting hit in the backfield consistently because Francois isn't either either isn't making the correct read or an offensive lineman got beat. So that's been a that's been a pretty big issue for Florida State. Uh, also, not getting the ball to Tamar and Terry when. When he has one on ones, he's he's open. Like let's just you know let's just go ahead and call it what it is. If he's one on one on the outside without a safety rolling over the top, he's open. Throw him the ball. He's a guy that he's going to go up and get it. He's physical. He's fast. You can you can rely on him to go out and make a play more often than not. Throw him the ball. I mean that's that's just the way it is. Get get tomorrow and Terry the ball because he's your best wide receiver. He's your most talented wide receiver. Find ways to get him the ball. Um, you know, get a guy like yeah, DJ Matthews. He had that he had that really bad drop at the beginning of the game against Syracuse. But he's a guy that needs to be touching the ball more. Um, he needs to be touching the ball more. He screens whatever you've got to do. You know, to to get him the ball and try and find him some space because right now like, there's absolutely nothing working. And I get it. Francois doesn't have a lot of time. Um, even on the short passes where Francois is getting the ball out of his hands quickly, you know, something is usually going wrong. Uh, you know, you look at one of the plays, Francois got the ball out of his hands in under two seconds, and Alec Everly was called for a holding penalty. It's just, I mean, that, that's the state of the offensive line right now. So it's, Willie Taggart just needs to to figure out a way. And it's, I mean, I understand that it's tough because if you can't block anybody, you can't win. If you can't run the football and you become one-dimensional, you're pretty much in trouble. Um, so it, I, I understand that it's going to be an issue, but 
you know, that's that's what Florida State's paying Willie Taggart five million dollars to do to make adjustments to figure it out. And um, you know, those are some of the adjustments that I think that that he needs to make just because you know if you can t- if you find ways to get your ball get the ball in the hands of your playmakers, good things are going to happen. You know, Florida State has made a bunch of big plays. Uh, in the passing game, not in the running game. The running game has been pretty much non-existent outside of Cam Akers' uh, 85-yard rush. But you know they've they've busted some big plays in the passing game. They just can't seem to string those together. They, there's a lot of you know miscommunications and penalties and people line, not lining up correctly and holding and your quarterback getting smashed and you know all, all of those all of those issues you know, have, have come to light and they're affecting it. But that's what Willie Taggart's being paid $5 million to do. You know, he's got to figure out a way to get those guys the ball to, you know, relieve some of that pressure on uh, on the offensive line and for quarterback DeAndre Francois. He's got to find a way to... He's got to find a way to do that. He's got to do a better. He's got to do a better job of putting his team in position to be successful, even with an offensive line that just is is so is struggling so badly. And I understand that's not an easy thing to do, and it's not going to work consistently. But I feel like he could do a lot better job than he did in the first three games. But coming uh, coming back, we'll discuss the players only meeting and what it means for Florida State uh, in the next segment. We'll also discuss in the third segment the options that Florida State have on the offensive line with Derek Kelly and Landon Dickerson out. And it's not pretty, but we're going to get into it and just talk a little bit about that. But before we get into that, ever since I started this podcast, people have been asking me for advice. Usually it's what team to bet on this week. The truth is, I don't know who's going to win, but if you think you know, you've got to check out my bookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. Trust me, guys, they are your best bet this season. They've been been in business for years, have great reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. You know, I would only recommend a service to my listeners that's been good to me. That's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. They have in-game live betting over/unders on fantasy points scored and the most rewarding player points uh, player perks in the business. So if you join now, my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use promo code College on twenty five, College no space on twenty five. To activate the offer, visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code COLLEGEON25 when creating your account to claim up to $1,000 in free play. Welcome back to the second segment where we will be discussing uh, Florida State's players-only meeting and just what it means for the program and going forward. Uh, after, in the third segment, we'll we'll discuss what options Florida State has on the offensive line and you know what combinations maybe Florida State can try to get things working. But jumping right back into it, <clears throat> Florida State held a players-only meeting this week, and when that happens, you know, th- you know things are getting desperate. The players... You know, ESPN reported that the players were arguing on the sidelines um, on Saturday against Syracuse in the loss. The players were, you know, obviously upset coming after uh, coming out of the game. A couple of players, I'm not, you know, going to name names, um, but a couple of players were walked out of the locker room with with tears rolling down their face. Um, and you know, the players that that we talked to, 
they you know they they didn't have any of the answers. I mean, they they seemed just as shell shocked as everybody else about what's happening to this football program. But when they got back to Tallahassee, they held the uh, they held a players only meeting, and when this happens, it goes one of two ways, right? The team comes together, they bond, they and 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 it get it gets better, right? Or it's, it's completely ineffectual, ineffective. It, it does absolutely nothing. And, you know, Florida State's going to be just as bad as they were. I mean, it's uh, three games. I mean, there, there's really no downside to doing this. Um, you know, unless players are out there in, in each other's face screaming at each other, which it doesn't sound like was, you know, what happened. Um, after talking with some of the players, that it doesn't seem that way. It doesn't seem like uh, the players were at each other's throats trying to, you know, figure this out and calling players out. It was more, you know, we're how can we fix this? Let's try to fix this. Let's work together. And that's always a good sign. You don't want the latter. You definitely want the former if you're going to have one of those meetings. Um, but. I mean, there's no downside to it. I know that a lot of, uh, I've seen a lot of people on social media making fun of it um, just because when this happens and a team does this, it's usually a sign of rock bottom. Um, It's usually a sign that there's, I mean, the team's in such disarray that, that, I mean, this is, this is necessary that the, the players, you know, are trying, are trying to figure everything out. Um, but I mean, th- there's no downside. I mean, it's the play isn't going to get worse because you know the players were talking to each other, trying to build each other up, and trying to help each other out. I mean, this this can only be a good thing. But it also talks about the state of the Florida State program right now. You know, we've we've been discussing it for you know months, just how Florida State, or I mean, dating back to last year. I mean, before. Uh, you know, before I started this podcast with the Locked On Podcast Network, you know, Fl- Florida State did not handle adversity well last year. They handled adversity about as poorly as they could. Ended up quitting against Boston College, got blown out. Um, you know, DeAndre Francois missed Senior Day to go to Orlando and visit his family. I mean, it. There, there were so many different things wrong. Right, there were so many different things wrong. And the team just didn't handle it well, and it, it splintered, it fractured, and they, you know, started blaming each other, and it, it just there was no sense of team, there was no sense of the program. It, ju- it everything had just completely fallen apart. And when when Coach Taggart arrived, he made it a point to say that he had to rebuild the culture at Florida State. He had to prepare them for adversity, and so far we've seen the team do a pretty good job of staying together. I mean, we did, you know, we did see them um, arguing a little bit on the sidelines and DeAndre obviously was not very, uh, was not very happy with his offensive line late in the game after being hit for the bajillionth time. Um, you know, throwing his hands up, refusing help from Abdul Bellows. He was getting up off the turf again. But I mean, for the most part, the team has done a pretty good job of sticking together. Um, you know, and, and working together and taking responsibility for what's going on and not passing the blame, um, you know, offense and defense of like, 
Yeah, the offense has been obviously, you know, one of the worst offenses in major college football so far this year. But when asked about, you know, asked about the defense, Dontavious Jackson was like, yeah, I missed some tackles. We got to do better. At the end of the day, we allowed the 30 points. It didn't matter. You know, you know, he, he, he didn't put the blame on the fact that they were on the, uh, the defense was on the field for 37 minutes which is, you know, ridiculous. I mean, that they were going to get worn down regardless, and that's what happened. They just ran out of gas, but he didn't put it on that. He said, you know, 30 points were allowed. We we have to do better. We have to be better, and which I thought was a really, um, a really important thing for him to say. And, you know, you, you hope that he would, he, he believes that, that, you know, it is a team effort because if it's not, you know, and the team starts to fracture again, you know, it's going to be so much harder for Willie Taggart to get them together again. You know, he he was able to get them to to buy into that at the, you know once he arrived. But now that the adversity's here, if if it happens again, it's going to be so much more difficult for Willie Taggart to bring this team together again, just because of everything that's going on, um, and just how difficult it is to, you know, try and preach the same thing over and over to guys and it's just not working out. So I do think that this is uh, probably a good thing for Florida State. I do think that I I don't know how much it's going to help uh, for anything other than morale because the offensive line is so bad as we've talked about for the past like eight episodes um, of this podcast. I think I've mentioned it in every single episode of the podcast so far, just how uh, poorly the offensive line has played. But, I mean, it bears repeating because it's, you know, pretty much causing Florida State's issues overall. Florida State can't get the offense running, which means that the defense is on the field, which means they're running out of gas, which means they're punting a lot, which means special teams is on the field a lot. So, you know, it... <laughs> An offensive line, you know, finding some success on the offensive line would obviously go a long way to helping out every single phase of the game, but I don't see that happening. Um, I don't see Florida State's offensive line getting better, and we'll discuss we'll discuss the reason for that in the um, in the next segment. But yeah, I I mean I don't see any way that this does anything but help help uh, the Florida State program, help Willie Taggart, and help the players um, as they try to keep up the confidence and keep up the morale um, after a pretty poor start to the season. So we'll get uh, we'll get into what options Florida State has on the offensive line in the next segment. But before I get into that, the wait is over. Football season's here, and that means it's fantasy football season, and FanDuel has never been more fun or easier to play. If you're not a fantasy expert, then FanDuel is clearly the best place to play for you. FanDuel has something for everyone, and there are more ways to win than ever before. FanDuel, new users on FanDuel get a $20 bonus when they make their first deposit. And if you love fantasy football, I love fantasy football. You know, if you have friends that love fantasy football, they've made it so much more, uh, so much easier for, uh, for friends to play against each other and go head to head. You know, I don't. I enjoy playing against my friends because I enjoy bragging rights. I had a nice bounce back week this week, and uh, I'm hoping for more. Thank you, Todd Gurley. Appreciate it. But um, you know, I'm hoping uh, hoping to have more success as, as we continue going. But if you enjoy playing fantasy football, I would highly recommend checking out FanDuel.com. You know, it's easily the best place to play if you're looking to play fantasy football. So make sure to check it out at FanDuel.com. 
thanks for sticking with me as we head into the final segment discussing Florida State's uh, offensive line and the options there. Obviously, we've we've discussed it uh, a few times, but the offensive line has not been good, and uh, it got a little bit worse with the loss of Derek Kelly to a uh, what we believe is a knee injury. Um, after uh, after the Syracuse game, he was the backup right tackle, but had moved into uh, he's actually the starting left guard was moved to right tackle after Landon Dickerson's injury, and now he's out. Dickerson is also out, so Florida State will be fielding backups at right tackle, left guard, and maybe left tackle depending on whether or not Florida State is uh, willing to play Jawan Williams, who has been um, not very good. To, uh, to put it lightly. So, you know, Florida State's going to have to have to figure out what they're going to do at those positions. Um, but the first team today was Abdul Bello at left tackle, who was also not very good. Arthur Williams, Alec Eberle, Cole Minshew, and Brady Scott. Uh, Brady Scott's actually been a bit of, su- bit of a surprise. He's actually, I thought he's actually played a uh, fairly well when he's been asked to come in in uh, into the game so you know maybe we'll see him take a little bit of a step forward but you know it's it's not a good situation when your third string center is starting at right tackle for you that's not a that's not a great situation but um yeah i mean three like abdul bello arthur williams and Brady Scott have never had, had never started a game before at Florida State uh, before this season. Arthur Williams was a defensive tackle three weeks ago, or not three weeks ago, but uh, about a month ago, month and a half ago. It's I mean it's it's just right now Florida State's dealing with a number of injuries. They came into the season without a lot of depth. They came into the season without a lot of talent, and there's some pretty uh, pretty major issues um, for. Florida State right there, uh, and it, it, they absolutely could not afford to have injuries to this unit, and they've already had a number. Cole Minshew uh, didn't start the first game against Virginia Tech. Landon Dickerson went out in the first game. Derek Kelly's out. Um, you know, it's just, just been it's just been one after the other, and there's not a lot of options, but particularly at the tackle position, you have Brady Scott, who's played left and right tackle for the... Uh, the first parts of the uh, for, through the first or the past two games, he's played left tackle and right tackle, depending on where he's been asked to play. And I thought he's done a, a fairly good job. Um, after him, though, he, he, there's you have you have Juwan Williams, who we discussed, has not been very good. You have Abdul Bello; those are your you know one and two left tackles. That's a really terrible situation. Florida State's got to find you know. They have to find a way to either make those guys better, which we'll see, or find somebody somebody else that can get the job done. And that's an even more of a, yeah, okay, that's, that's really not going to happen. Um, behind those two, you have Chaz Neal and Jalen Goss. Um, and both of those guys are freshmen. Both of them are... And just completely not ready to play at the major college football level. Chaz Neal was a defensive end before he got to Florida State. Um, he's added some weight, but he also like he, he he was not a he was taken purely off potential. That's a good way to say it. He was taken purely off potential and what he could be in the future. He's six seven. He's two hundred eighty six pounds. 
He's a big body. He's mildly athletic. Um, but he's like he's he's not ready to play. Uh, he he came in not ready to play. He's not ready to play now. He might not be ready to play for another year. Uh, if if then. Um, then you have Jalen Goss, who came in a little more technically sound than Chaz Neal, who, like I said, was a defensive end, um, but he's 273 pounds. You put him out there against you know big-time defensive ends, and he's going to get run over because he just doesn't have the size needed to play. You have Christian Armstrong, who's a guard. He played tackle in high school, um, but he's right now he's working as the second-team guard. All three of these guys are working on the second team, and none of them are ready to play. Uh, Armstrong is probably the most ready to play, but Florida State has more depth at tackle than they do, or more depth at guard than they do at tackle. So it's hard to see him jumping into the playing time unless you know they move him out wide to the tackle position. But I, I find it hard to believe that that's going to happen. But uh, right now, there basically this is you know that there aren't any other options for Florida State right now. Um, you know, if you're going to go out there and you're going to take your chances, you know. You, Maybe you put out Jalen Goss and just see how it goes because he is athletic. He's, I mean, he moves very well. He has, he has long arms. Um, so, you know, maybe he comes out, maybe he surprises you. I don't think Chaz Neal is anywhere near ready to play, but right now Chaz Neal is, is uh, ahead of Jalen Goss as far as the pecking order just because, you know, Jalen Goss didn't make the travel roster. Chaz Neal did, and that's just, I mean, that's that's fairly concerning because, you know, Chaz is a, a little far off for, you know, for, for uh, playing major college football. I mean, he, ha- he has been better than I expected. I will give him that. He has been far better than I expected. He's won reps in the null drills going one-on-one with defensive ends. Um, I've been actually really surprised and impressed with some of the plays that he's made. But I don't know that he'd be able to do it against, uh, you know, consistently enough against uh, good defensive ends like he's like they're going to be up against um, in the near future. So uh, there's just I mean, there's really there's just no options. Um, Florida State's going to have to either ride with Bello or Jawan Williams, both of whom looked have looked pretty terrible this year. Or, you know, maybe you move Brady Scott over to left tackle and then um, maybe Mike Arnold out to right tackle. I mean, he, he did play a little bit of left tackle in the spring, but he wasn't very good at it. Um, it's just, I mean, there's there's no good option for Florida State at this point when it comes down to it. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's just a, it's a cluster. But Florida State's going to have to figure out something. Um you know, maybe like Sutton Smith is one of the best defensive ends that Florida State will face this year. He comes to town this weekend with Northern Illinois, and there would not be a single play where he did not get chipped by a tight end. If you're going to send the tight end out, out, uh, you know, if you, if, if Trey McKinney's going to go out and be a receiver, which he's going to do, and he's been very good at it. He's, you know, probably been one of Florida State's best offensive players. But every single time he goes out for a route, he would be chipping Sutton. I don't. I mean, you know, you move him back and forth. You make sure you have somebody. You make sure that you're not putting that kid up against one of your overmatched offensive tackles in a one-on-one situation because all it's going to end up doing is putting Francois on the ground or Cam Akers or Jacques Patrick on the ground in the backfield. 
That's all it's going to do. So, you know, Florida State has to find the ways to to mitigate the issues on the offensive line, um, but there's not really that many options as far as personnel, so it's going to have to come in the form of scheme. We've talked a little bit about that, going max, more max protect and uh, and keeping the tight end and running backs in and, you know, running cam makers in the wildcat. We talked a little bit about that as well, but... That'll do it for this edition of the Locked On Seminoles podcast. I really appreciate you guys sticking around and listen, listening to this. And I really appreciate all the support that I've gotten on social media. Um, you guys are the best, and I really appreciate it. And hope you guys will stick with me going forward. But for the Locked On Seminoles podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, we'll be back again tomorrow discussing the Florida State defense and what Coach Harlan Barnett had to say and what the uh, Florida State players had to say. And we'll be back after that. Um, uh, tomorrow. But for now, thank you very much for listening. It means a lot. I hope you continue to listen. Have a nice day.